we continue a series of sermons uh, for four weeks entitled The Unified Local Church, which is God's greatest army today. And we're going to look at last week we um, were in another area in Philippians, but we're going to go back to the beginning and spend three weeks here in chapter 1. Let's read these first 11 verses together this morning. The Bible says this, this is Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, let the words of our mouth and, and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I had the great privilege over the past couple of weeks to receive um, three or four cards of encouragement or thank you notes. And I opened my drawer later on this week to stick those in there. And through the years, the bottom drawer of my desk is filled with just thank you notes cards of encouragement and different things like that and sometimes when I'm feeling like nobody at home likes me and nobody at church likes me and nobody in Piedmont likes me I'll go in my office and I'll open that drawer and I'll pull out a note from Betty Lively from five years ago that tell me how much she loved me and how wonderful I am and I'll say well at least there's one <laughs> so sometimes it's wonderful to get those notes of encouragement or thank you notes and to, and to feel that blessing that you get from that. And every one of us needs a note of encouragement or a call or a visit or a text sometimes. And I see this so much here in our congregation. On Wednesday evenings, there's a group of people who get here early and they sit in a room here together and they write cards and notes to people who are sick or who have had a loss in their family or who might have different difficult circumstances going on. And they send those cars to people. And so many times I get a phone call from somebody or I hear from someone and they'll tell me, I had no idea that anybody at Piedmont First Baptist even knew who I was or even knows my name, and yet I got cards from them. I go to homes and visit where there may have been a death, and while I'm there, the phone will ring, or there'll be people from our church visiting, or there'll be text messages sent to, to those people. I go to hospitals, and, and a lot of times when I get to the hospital, 
there are already people from our church who have been there and who have visited with those people. I went to see Jim McAllister this week in the hospital, and he was la- he had a big one-liter Sprite there by his bed, and he was laughing. Randy and Sparks and Paul came to visit him, and they left him a one-liter Sprite, and when they left, he opened it, and it exploded and went all over the room. And he said he had this vision of the Harper brothers driving to Rome with this Sprite taking turns, shaking it, saying, boy, we're going to get old Jim when we leave. <laughs> But he, it was encouraging for someone to come by and visit or someone to encourage. God here in the book of Philippians allows us to have a look at a four-chapter note of encouragement from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Now, the main thrust of the book of Philippians is this. It is encouragement. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling low, If you don't have any joy in your life right now, pick up the book of of Philippians. Set it on your lap and read it a couple of times. Take you just a few minutes to read it through. Read it over and over and understand that God has limitless joy for the believer and he wants us to live in a place where no matter what the circumstances are, we can depend on the joy that comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants the Philippians to live. He tells them here in Philippians that they are a part of a heavenly, they have a heavenly citizenship. And he wants them to live in such a way that they feel like they are already there in heaven and they're representing heaven everywhere they are. He writes to them and he says, he knows the conditions of the city of Philippi. It's a pagan place. It's a, it's a sinful place. It's a, it's a place where it's uncomfortable to be a Christian. And he says, I want you to live a life that is committed to service to God and one another. And the best way to change the, your surroundings is to serve God and to serve others through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he last week we looked at Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus and how they were doing this, and how they were living this out and serving. And this morning, I want us to look for just a few minutes at how Paul explains to this church in Philippi how they can live and grow spiritually together. First of all, he tells them, I want you to grow in grace, and I want you to grow in peace. In verse number 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever... Uh, received a benefit from being from joining something or from from being a part of something if you ever got a benefit from it I watch commercials through the week as, as I'm looking at television and I see all these banks that have the commercials on there and they all tell you how if you bank at their bank how much better you're gonna be and how much more well off you're gonna be and all the services they provide and the benefits for for joining their bank and giving your money to that bank or taking out a loan from that bank. Have you ever filled out a loan or an application or joined or become? There's Down at the bottom, there's a lot of fine print. And if you don't read that fine print real close, what it says is, by the time you are finished with this, we're going to own everything you have, and you're going to owe us service charges and fees that you have no idea about. I hope I'm not offending anybody in the banking business. Forgive me, Neil. Uh, but, um, but, but down there at the bottom, there's all kind of fine print. You're going to lose all kind of money because that's how they stay in business. 
Now, Paul is saying here, there is a benefit for living in grace with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's saying there's no fine print to this. There are all kind of benefits for living through the grace of Jesus Christ, but there's no fine print. There's no gotcha. There's no catch-22 to this. Paul says that one of the greatest benefits is reflected in the word peace. He always associates God's grace with the word peace. Paul uses this introduction in most of his letters when he says grace and peace be to you. Uh, There's a significant order in Paul's writing. He always uses the word grace and then he uses the word peace. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. I've got written out in the margin of my notes here. Is there any greater peace in this world than to be in right standing with God Almighty? There is no greater peace in this world than to be in right standing with God. To know that your sins are forgiven, you've repented of your sins, they've been forgiven. Your sins for a past, present, and future are under the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are living and you are a citizen of heaven. And you can have peace in your heart and joy and satisfaction in this life no matter what life throws at you. Paul says if you understand the grace of Jesus, you can have this peace that comes. Peace is a typical Jewish greeting. They would greet each other with the word shalom, which meant uh, uh, peace. We greet each other with the word hello or hi, how you doing? This was a common greeting for them, the word peace. But it has such a deeper meaning for us as Christians than it did for the Jew that Paul grew up around. Now we understand when we become a Christian and we become, uh, we become associated with a church, we hear grace described in a lot of different ways. We hear grace is the unmerited favor of God. We'll hear the phrase that grace is the free gift of God. We'll use the acronym for grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Grace, we, we need to understand that grace is the very heart. Grace is the very foundation of the Christian life. Grace is what we need to understand so that we understand the peace of God and we understand the joy of God. We have to grow and understand grace even more. We have to get a better grasp of this important word, and it's true. The, the ramifications of God's grace to us in Christ affect every area of our life as a believer in Christ. All through the New Testament, the effects of God's grace are emphasized. The more that I understand God's grace to me, it helps me in situations as a Christian in knowing grace with other people. There have been times in my life as a Christian where I have had to extend forgiveness and grace to other individuals. There have been times in my life also where I have had to accept forgiveness and grace from other people. When I understand the grace that God has bestowed upon me, it helps me in those relationships when I receive grace or when I give grace. Because if you read the New International Version of the Bible, you'll see that 104 times in the New International Version, the word grace is used. And if it's used that many times, 
we need to understand what grace is all about. In fact, Jesus Christ himself is described as the very epitome and the very manifestation of God's grace that we can understand. Now, here's a definition of grace that I read this week. Grace is that which God does for mankind through his Son, which mankind cannot earn, does not deserve, and will never merit. Stay on the screen for us. That which God does for mankind through his Son, mankind cannot earn, does not deserve, and will never merit. I could never earn God's grace. On my very best day of behavior, on my very best day of extending uh, work for other people and doing for other people, on my very best day of trying to be righteous, Isaiah says that my righteousness is as filthy rags in the presence of God. I could never attain grace through what I could do or through how I could try to earn it. I could never do that. Jesus is the only one, God the Son is the only one who could earn my grace for me by taking my place and dying for my sins and shedding his blood for my sins. I didn't deserve this grace. What I deserved was to go to a cross and be crucified in the place of Jesus. And what I deserved was death and eternal separation from God. But Jesus went and he took my place and he took what I deserved. And there's no way that I will ever merit what God has given me through this grace. No way. There's no way that I can, uh, there's no way that I can continue, do anything to achieve and keep this grace. God has to extend this grace and give it to me. Grace, another pl place where I, I was looking, it said this, Grace is the golden clasp that binds a sinful man to a righteous God. God grips me in his grace and he will not let go. Grace gives me the power and it motivates me to want to live to be like Jesus. Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. All people. Not just us or not just people like us, but for all people who ever live. And, and there's, listen, grace brings with it a great guarantee. Grace brings with it a great guarantee. How many great guarantees do you get in this life? Do you ever, when you're, when you're in line at, at, the, at the store, when you've bought an appliance and they ask you, do you want to buy this extended warranty, how many of you just shake your head and say, no, I'll take my chances? Hey, I bought an extended warranty. Uh, I was buying a set of tires for Bryson, and Bree said her last words to me, these are for Bryson, so you better buy the warranty. All right? The warranty came in handy this weekend because he busted a tire. There's a guarantee there because I paid a little bit extra. They're going to replace that tire for free. Praise God. There are some guarantees in this life, but there is no greater guarantee than this. God's love, when we have grace, it is a guarantee of God's love and provision for anything we're going to face in this life. No matter what we face in this life, we have God's grace and his love and provision is going to go with us because of that. If you are a Christian this morning, there's a set of scriptures you ought to learn and memorize. It's Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other thing created 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When God extends his grace to you and you become a part of that fellowship with God, there is nothing created, nowhere you can go, nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to say amen whether you are asleep or not. So we grow in grace and peace together. And then Paul says that we grow in partnership and commitment with each other. This is, uh, this is something that I, that I read this week that, that Chad Fuel. It says this, the gospel is not individualistic. Christians are to share in rich fellowship with one another and to be united together in service to promote the gospel. The gospel is not individualistic. We were not brought into this fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ to live this out on our own and to make it on our own. God put us with a group of people in this body of believers here, this family of faith, and we are to work things out together. We are to grow together. We are to grow spiritually together. And we grow in one of those ways is through our partnership and commitment with each other. We saw this last week in the lives of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and how they worked together and how they served each other and how they grew as believers because of that. Now, the Apostle Paul is considered by most people to be the most important theologian, the greatest scholar who ever lived. Most of what we do in church this morning, most of what we know, most of the ordinances that we do, most of what we have and know about church is through the writings and the epistles of the Apostle Paul to the churches and the letters that he sent back to them. Paul was an apostle and his words carried the full weight and acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he wrote back to the churches, the churches took and instituted, and we follow those things today. Paul's writings and Paul's uh, words had great weight to them. And, but here's what's most important about Paul in, in taking all that and weighing it, What's more important is that Paul always put people first before everything else. Listen to this, these verses in verses 3 and 4. He says, I thank my God in my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. As Paul's writing this, he's thinking back to what we read there in Acts chapter 16. And he's thinking about how they landed there in Macedonia. And how there, while they were there, they met a woman named Lydia who was a seller of purple. Uh, and, and she had a household of people there. And she became the very first convert in Europe. And Paul is thinking about how she was led to faith in Christ. And how everyone in her household was led to faith in Christ. And how they were baptized. And Paul is thinking about just a few days later how he and Silas were imprisoned there for the spreading of the gospel. And how the Philippian jailer, when, when the jail broke loose and, and Paul and Silas were freed from their chains, he's thinking about that Philippian jailer who was going to take his sword and take his life. But Paul and Silas led him to Christ, and not only him, but his whole household. And the jailer and all of his house were believers and were baptized together. And as Paul's writing about this, he's thinking about the partnership that he made with these people and how a church grew out of that partnership 
and how it began to flourish. And many people there in that city became Christians because of it. He's thinking about the people there. Paul rarely thanked God for things, but he often thanked God for people. People brought him joy. And it gave, it gave him great thanks. He was able to give great thanksgiving for those people. I take a walk every morning. I walk through neighborhoods. And as I walk through those neighborhoods, I know just about every person who lives in those houses. As I pass those houses, I call out those people's name in prayer. One particular person has moved into a house. He bought a house there in this neighborhood. And as I walked by his house, I prayed specifically the other morning. I said, Lord, I want you to bless this man. I want you to give me opportunity sometime to witness to him and to be able to sit down with him and to talk about his belief and his faith. Later on, I think this was on Thursday, later on that afternoon, Bree got a text from this individual that said, Hey, Bree, can you get Michael to call me? I need to talk to him. Hand to God. God answered my prayer. This man sent Bree a text message. Bree said, get in touch with him. I got in touch with him, and he said, hey, buddy, I'm going to get married, and I, wouldn't, I can't think of anybody that I would rather do my wedding ceremony than you. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll be there, brother. I'll be there. But it opened a door for me to be able now as I sit down with him and talk about this for months ahead of time, to be able to say, hey, brother, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Pray, people, pray. Pray every day for those things to happen. Let's be honest. Let's be honest about church life. You don't remember all the sermons I preached. Raise your hand. If you remember every sermon I ever preached, raise your hand. Oh. I'm hurt. You don't remember every Sunday school lesson that every Sunday school teacher ever taught you. But let me tell you what you remember. You remember the people and you remember the relationships. And you remember how those people may have helped you through a difficult time because of your relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember those people being there and being a steadying force in your life through prayer. You remember those people coming in and praying with you. You remember those people being a witness to you. You remember the person who may have taken time outside of their busy schedule to sit down with you and to explain to you about the grace of Jesus Christ and lead you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that person. You remember those things. You're not ever going to remember all the sermons and all those things, but you're going to remember the partnerships and the commitments that you have with God's people. You're going to remember the people you served and labored with. You're going to remember the people you went on mission trips with. You're going to remember the people you fixed meals with. You're going to remember those people who went with you on ministry and evangelistic visits. You're going to remember the things you did for Jesus Christ and the partnerships and the commitments that you had with other people. Those are the things that when you get to your dying days, you're not going to look back and say, boy, Brother Michael preached a sermon on, on what's the day, July 22nd, 2018, and it's just running through my mind right now. 
you're going to remember those people. And let me tell you this, there's going to be a lot of those people who are going to be there with you in those moments as you pass from this life. You're going to remember those things. Paul is thankful as he looks back. It's based on this long-standing reality because he had a partnership with those Philippians. He had a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Gordon Free gives a description of this partnership. He says it was a three-way bond between Paul, the Philippians, and Jesus Christ. Jesus provided the spiritual glue of the fellowship. Jesus gave that partnership the ability to look to other people's interests first. You remember last week, Paul's description to Timothy. He said Timothy is a person who looks to the interest of others before himself. They had great fellowship together there in Philippi. They were brothers and sisters in Christ, and they were committed to taking the gospel to all the Gentile world that was in their area. They were committed to sharing the gospel to anyone who would listen to them. They were committed to helping those people who were in poverty and in need. They weren't looking to their own interest, but to the interest of other people. They suffered together in the fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in giving in such a way, Paul was able to write about them in 2 Corinthians 8, 2-5. through 5. He said this, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as, as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to others. Paul said he was telling the Corinthians, he's bragging on the church in Philippi to the Corinthians, and he's saying they were living in poverty, yet they took up an offering and met my needs through that offering. They were living in affliction and persecution, but they came and visited me in prison and took care of my needs. They took care of my medicine and my clothing and all the things that I needed. Someday I hope that, that others can say about us here that when they were in need and when they needed the love of Jesus, that we went out into the community and we found them and we shared that with them. We know that feeling of true fellowship. Well, here we can do it by, by finding people to partner with in Bible study. Pam Jones is, is our new Disciple Life leader. The, the ministry that we have, the Disciple Life, the Bible study. There's two groups of women who meet here on Mondays and do Disciple Life together. Pam is now coordinating that ministry for us. And if you want to start a Bible study where you can encourage other people and you can teach other people the Bible and you can be a part of that, see Pam and she will get that material to you and teach you how to use it and then you can lead other people and teach them how to start a group and lead and we can have Bible studies all over Piedmont. There's, there's the ability there for us to do that. Partner with people in prayer. Get together and pray with other people. Visit together. We have a group of ladies in the Esther Sunday School class 
Never seen anything like it. They get together through the week and they go and they visit and they visit and they see people who are in need. You can do local missions together. Look around you. There's all kind of things that your Sunday school class could partner and do here locally. The Benevolent Center, the Baptist Service Center in Anniston. All these places need help all the time. Let me ask you this question. Who do you have a ministry partnership with? And if you don't have one, think about who you can have that ministry partner with, partnership with. Paul said this as he continues to encourage them. He says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Those words should motivate and mobilize us to work together for the spreading of the gospel. And then finally he says, I want you to grow in prayer and love. He said, it's my prayer, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Think about that sentence there. English, English teachers, think about this. Love in this sentence has no object. He says, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. He doesn't say, I'm praying that your love for God will abound more and more. He doesn't say, I'm praying that your love for other people will abound more and more. What he's praying is, I'm praying that the love that you have in your heart will grow so much in your love for God, and your, it, that will cause your love for other men to grow so much that it will just be limitlessly abundant for everything and everyone around you. He wants our love, he's praying for our love to grow for God and for other people and for it to abound more and more. Let me tell you this this morning. If you're at fault or if you're, you're at odds with somebody, I want to tell you something very freeing this morning. You can't hate. You can't be bitter, and you can't have unforgiveness for somebody you're praying for. I'm going to say that again. You can't hate, you can't be bitter, and you can't have unforgiveness for somebody if you're praying for that person. If you have hard feelings towards someone, if you have a spirit of unforgiveness towards someone, my greatest encouragement for you this morning is to call that person's name in prayer and to pray that God will bless them in ways beyond measure, spiritually, financially, in their health, and everything that they do. Pray for that person, and I promise you it will free you inside, and there is no way you can be bitter, have hate, or unforgiveness toward that person. Paul says this. He goes further. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with, with these things, knowledge and discernment. Paul says, I want you to grow in what you know and understand about God himself. Frank Sheed said these words. It's on the screen there. It says, a virtuous man may be ignorant, but ignorance is not a virtue. It would be a strange God who could be loved better by being known less. Love of God is not the same thing as knowledge of God. Love of God is immeasurably more important than knowledge of God. But if a man loves God, knowing a little about him, he should love God more from knowing more about him. 
The more we know of God, the more reason we have to love Him. The more we know of God, the more reason we have to love Him. Do you grow in love for God as you've gone through difficulties in life, as you've gone through hardships, or or God has blessed you? Does it cause you to grow more and more in love with Him? I say this to Bree sometimes, and, and, and I think it aggravates her, and she doesn't really understand what I'm saying. But I love Bree a whole lot more today than I did the day she walked down the aisle and met me here in marriage. Now, when I say that sometimes, she, she looks at me like, well, didn't you love me completely back then? And I, I did love her completely back then. But we have been together now for, over, for close to 22 years, or a little bit over 22 years, and we love each other more today than we did the day that we met here in marriage. Why? Because we have spent that time together. We know each other more. We understand each other better. We, we, we have lived together. We know each other. And we love each other even more today than we did on the day that we were married. Because we have invested time in this relationship. Let me say this this morning. If you are not investing the proper time in your relationship with God, you are not growing more in love with Him. As a matter of fact, if I spent more, to, if I if I suddenly decided today, hey, I'm just going to start, I, I'm I'm going to start neglecting this relationship with Bree. I'm I'm going I'm I'm just not going to have anything to do with her. I'm not going to talk to her. Gonna I'm going to live my life. She live her life, and, and we wouldn't be. I, she wouldn't keep me around very long to begin with. But we wouldn't be. We wouldn't share the same kind of love that we have today. And when we, when we neglect that time in prayer with God, when we ne- neglect that time of reading His Word, then we are neglecting an opportunity to grow and love Him more. There are some other times when Paul was in prison when he wrote similar words. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul wrote these words, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. When we spend time with Him, He reveals more of Himself to us. And then He wrote to the church at Colossae in in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, He said, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We should never stop desiring to learn more about God and the more that we desire to learn, the more about God, the more our love for Him grows and the more our love for God grows, the more intensely He pours that love out for the people around us. Let me tell you this, a superficial love for God is a sure sign of a superficial knowledge of God. And this is absolutely why we have to give priority to being gathered here in worship. And we have to give priority to spending time with our Bibles and our hearts open to God. This is why every day we have to open God's Word and examine the Scriptures. I had a, uh, I had a friend of mine tell me uh, just in the past couple of weeks that in the next few weeks, he will have completed reading the Bible completely through for the fourth time. 
I want to tell you something this morning. That is a great monumental thing for, uh, for a believer. Because I want to be honest with you this morning. Most preachers that I know have not read the Bible through four times. I'm being honest with you. But as a believer, you should, uh, some of you say, well, well I, I have a devotion every day. I read a devotion. That's wonderful. You're doing more than most. But until you begin every day to open God's word, put it on your lap, and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I'm reading, you're not going to grow properly in your knowledge of God. Ask yourself this question. How many hours did I spend this week watching television? How many hours this week did I spend on social media? Compare that to the time you spent in prayer and Bible study and understand where your priorities are in life. Paul finishes up in verses 10 and 11, and he says these words. He says, I'm praying for you this way so that you may approve what is excellent. He said, I don't want you to have just what is good. I want you to have what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless. He says, I want you to live this way so that you don't get tripped up by the things of this world but I want you at the day of Christ to be able to be there not having a lot of baggage. And I want you to be filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we finish up this section of Paul's encouragement there of this church to grow spiritually together. And here's our Monday morning moment. Here's what I want to ask you to do this week. I want you to say, I will commit to partner with at least one other per person to pray for the spiritual unity of Piedmont First Baptist Church. That's what I want you to commit to this week, to partner with at least one other person to pray for the spiritual unity of Piedmont First Baptist Church. Because what Paul is saying here to this church at Philippi, you've done a great job there where you are with each other, but there's a great world outside of you that needs to be reached for Jesus. And the more unified you become spiritually together, the greater the opportunity is for you to reach those around you. A.T. Pearson said this. He said, There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. If you're praying for revival, pray together for that revival. I want to I close this way. I want to I challenge you this week. I want you to get someone on your mind or, or some people on your mind. Maybe you meet with people every week. Maybe you're a part of one of these D-Life groups that meet. I want you to commit in that group to pray this, this week, for this church. I want you to, to look maybe to your spouse or someone outside of your household, and I want you to say, this week I'm going to commit to pray for the spiritual unity of our church with another person. I have someone in mind this week that I'm going to ask this afternoon. I'm going to send them a text message or call them, and I'm going to ask them to partner with me this week in praying this prayer for our church all through the week. And I'm going to pray that just as this church at Philippi grew together spiritually and became a church that great joy over, that we will grow that way and that we will, as a result, see people won to the Lord Jesus Christ 
and that we will properly disciple those people so that in turn they will go and lead other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. You with me? Say amen. Amen. This morning, if you're here, I don't want to close this service without saying this. If you're here and these concepts seem foreign to you, you don't understand them, you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that I'm going to partner with someone, I'm going these things about Jesus and this relationship, I want to invite you this morning to pray, and I want you to search your heart and, and ask yourself, is there a place where I have come where I know that I have forgiveness of sins and that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm going to be with God in heaven for eternity. If you can't answer yes to that question, I'd invite you to come this morning and meet me here. I'll take scripture and show you how before you leave here today, you can know that you have fellowship with Jesus, forgiveness of sin, and a home in heaven. Maybe you need to do as many others have done and follow in believers' baptism. Or maybe you need to re unite with this church and membership. Whatever it is you need to take care of this morning, now is a time of decision, an invitation, and worship. I would challenge you this morning to do this. I would challenge you to come already and pray in the altar for the spiritual unity of our church or to grab that person that you're thinking about this morning and maybe ask them to come and pray with you. Whatever it is you need to do this morning, as Rhonda comes to lead us during this time, I want you to take it seriously and do business with God. Would you stand? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here, the time that we have together. I thank you, dear God, that so many people grow spiritually together by doing what you have admonished us to do through your Holy Spirit in Paul's writings. I pray that we would take it to heart and that we would move forward with it. Father, I pray and I ask you to bless this time, your Holy Spirit to move in this place, and that Jesus Christ be the focus of everything we do from now until we leave and when we go home. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you respond?